Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. If you're like me, quarantined, locked up, <laughs> not locked up, but that's what it feels like, right? Um, There's it, it, so many challenges and, and obstacles. I have received so many messages from people feeling like a burden, uh, feeling like they're isolated, to feeling hopeless. Uh, However, if you go to thrivewithleo.com, I can coach you from feeling like a burden to feeling like a blessing, from feeling isolated to feeling connected, from feeling hopeless to feeling hopeful. Go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching, and we will get through this together. With that said, Let's get into the episode. Very good. It's good to hear your voice again. Man, how long has it been? Uh, you know, it's been, it's got to be 20, 25 years. You it's been a whole career, man. A whole career. And, and yeah, you're, you're, look at you, you're a doctor with a PH, uh, with a PhD? Uh, well, you know, not quite that far. I went oh. to side because I just didn't want to have to write a dissertation, but, uh, no, I, I wanted to take time and really focus on one avenue of study rather than going the more general uh, PhD route. So I zoomed in on the laser-focused PsyD with some specialization in uh, Victor Frankl. Uh, so, okay, if you go back to Psych 101, yeah. you had Freud. Yeah. And then Freud had, you know, Adler was one of his students. And then Frankl, about the time Freud was really hitting his height, Frankl was maybe... 18, 19, 20, already working on his, you know, uh, MD degree and stuff like that. And so he starts talking to, uh, Freud, you know, through email, you know, they didn't have email back then. Right. I I know, but you know, I was going to go with it. I was like, you know what? You got the side D I don't. So maybe, you know, something I don't, maybe email stood for something else. Well, they had that old school email back then. Right. So this, this 20 year old kid, starts uh, sending mail to, to Sigmund Freud. And he's like, maybe, maybe I agree with you, Mr. Freud, but I got these other ideas too. And so, you know, Frankel goes through and, and talks to Freud and eventually comes up with his own theory about, uh, you know, man is not a being in search of pleasure, like Freud thought, or, or in search of power, like Adler thought. Frankel comes up with this idea that man is a being in search of meaning. And, uh, you know, when I started, I went back and read his, his, you know, one of his books, his most famous one, Man's Search for Meaning. I read that, oh, I don't know, reread it maybe eight years ago. And it just, it grabbed me at that point in my life. And, uh, I started doing some research and, uh, I found there was a, uh, a school of study in his, uh, hometown of Vienna, Austria. And there's no way my wife was letting me go to school in Austria, unfortunately, and uh, I found another one in Abilene, Texas, which was still a little far. And then you wouldn't believe it. We're living near South Bend, Indiana here. And uh, there was a school right up the road that specialized in a degree in his field of study. And I just thought, you know, if, if there's ever a sign, uh, that was a sign that uh, I better get to work and start pursuing that. And I did. And uh, it was a very cool area of study for me. You know, so many people are are searching for meaning. I've read that book also, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. It's a, it's a quick read, 
Um, I, I say quick because it's a, it's a it, it doesn't have a lot of pages. It's a small book, but mm-hmm. it, it could be a book that takes you a while because he says so many things along the way that are powerful and insightful that you almost have to close the book and and, and let it marinate uh, before you continue. That's uh, such. But um, yeah. So Man, I've, I've had so many copies with so many different sets of highlights in it. That's one of the rare books I have. A couple paper copies, one from school where I studied, and then a digital version that I keep with me. You know, whenever I just want to refer to stuff, and you know, whether I'm in session or something like that. But that's one you can you can reread so many times and, and come up with something amazing every time. Yeah, if you've never read the book, I mean, is is essentially you know Viktor Frankl. Uh, you know, he's his career is thriving and then uh world war ii and and he's he's thrown into a concentration camp and uh and he's just Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to how to thrive not just survive but but how to how to thrive through throughout all this and and what he holds on to and you know like like i said i've read the book but you know you haven't you haven't read the book and then uh uh you know studied uh him specifically in in his methodology what what was it that you took away from all from all that, like in terms of finding meaning and, and purpose in life? Wow. You, you're asking me to sum up an entire doctorate. Program. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, and I know I know that's a, that is a, a heavy question, but I always yeah. feel like uh, like when I when I read something or I'm in I'm in uh, or, I, you know, even if I take four years or something. There's always like just like there's a few things. There's a few like uh, tent poles or uh, uh, support beams that I really latch on to that that I then uh, that everything else is surrounded with. And I just wonder, like, if there were like some major things that just like resonated with you and you were like, whoa. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. so one of the first things going back to, to that book specifically, right? I mean, the first two thirds are all about his time in, in the concentration camps and how horrible it was and all these other things. And you would think if, if you only read that, it's kind of like, wow, this guy obviously came up with his, his theory through this. And I, and I had to get into some study to realize, no, no, he had that all figured out like 10 or 20 years beforehand, this idea that man's a being in search of meaning. And then he gets thrown into the concentration camps with nothing. He tried, he tried to take some notes with him. He's like, this is going to be my, my magnum opus. This is going to be the book I write when I get done. Well, of course, they take that from him. And so he had all these ideas. And then through three, three and a half years in the concentration camps, continues to prove, like, like you said, that, that man can thrive through suffering, that he can discover meaning in suffering. And I think that's one of the biggest tent poles for me, especially in the times that we live in and what we see in our world. So often we try to avoid suffering and, and fight it. And if, if you look not only at this book, but through also so many texts of ancient wisdom, uh, the the Bible and other ancient wisdom books, suffering is something to endure and grow from and not to avoid. And so taking that big overarching idea and and taking it to my clients in in one-on-one work and couples works and things like that, and introducing them to this idea that, you know, what you're going through 
can help you grow, can help you evolve, can help you develop into to more than what you are now has been just so powerful in, in helping other people. Um, that was a big one for me just in, in doing the work that I do. But the other side of that personally was the idea that, you know, not only did I read man's search for meaning, but I don't know, 20 other of his books. And one of the things that kept hitting me was, wow, more people need to know about this. I've got a bigger purpose in, in getting this message out to more people, even though that book is like, I think it was like in the top 10 of most gifted books in the past century. Right. So a lot of people have read that. But the idea that more people need to know about this. And so rather than just sitting in my office one on one with people every day, I decided, you know, I'm going to I'm going to build some courses. I'm going to do some teaching and I'm going to get into, you know, doing some more speaking on it. And uh, thank you. You've kind of motivated me you know, to, to get working on my podcast and, and really get this message out there that there's more than just pleasure and power. Um, as Freud and Adler said, and that if we really spend our days searching for meaning, um, not only do we make our own lives better, but we make the lives of our community and, and maybe our world better. You, you know, it, it's, it's so uh, important, especially now. Um, you know, when the reason you know, I'm excited to have you on and talk about meaning is that uh, so many people who commit suicide or, or I don't want to say commit suicide, so many people who end their life, um, mm-hmm. They uh, a lot of them they feel like they're a burden to to other people to society, uh, and it's a way of uh, alleviating that that feeling of of being a burden to other people. But that suffering, that pain of feeling like a burden, can be uh, a navigational tool in terms of helping you figure out what you value. Because, you know, there have been times where, uh, you know, I've when I was struggling and coming up and I'd be in a relationship and I I felt like I was a financial burden. And I I, and it it just it pained me so much that, uh, you know, I I, I had, you know, I was depressed and and anxious and 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 not happy. And 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 I recognize that. You know, I didn't want to be a financial burden, not just to the woman I was in a relationship with, but to society or anybody else. And and that made me start to plan and strategize on how to be more financially self-sufficient uh, and mm-hmm. and start thinking about multiple streams of income, building wealth. Um, and 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 start saving um, and asking questions about. I realized how little I knew about money and finances and and wealth. So it was an opportunity for me to go deeper into that pain and suffering, uh, so that I, I would I would hopefully never feel like a financial burden uh, again. So if you can get to the source of that that suffering and pain. It could be a guidepost to to lead you through. Absolutely. If you can get past the idea of of just how much it hurts and look at all right, where where can I grow from this? I mean, what a great example, Leo. You looked at that, you you felt the depths of it. Um, you you're in that dark place. You said, you know what? 
I've, I've got to grow from this. I've got to learn. I've got to educate myself with finances. I've got to learn about multiple streams. And, and here we are talking about it today. I mean, that's just a beautiful example. And I think in my experience, anybody that achieves some level of success, and we're not talking million dollar success, we're just talking thriving in today's world, right? Like anybody that can get to that often has some story like you just shared of how they went through a time where they suffered and rather than staying in that suffering and, and, and falling into those depths, um, they grew, they learned, they evolved and, and they became, um, better. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, I love hearing stories like that. I, that's why I love the work that I get to do every day is, is hearing those stories of people going, yeah, I was in a terrible place. And, and then I, ch I made a choice to do something different. It's just that one choice in the moment followed by, you know, a few more choices, making a healthy, meaningful decision that can lead to, to that kind of success. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's not a thing that, that the feeling of being a burden is, is I recognize is something that uh, is a part of me and with me and, and shows up in, in different places. Uh, but what happens is as you become more proactive, uh, it, it becomes a less terrifying feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. You go, oh, oh, there's that feeling of being a burden again. I wonder what uh, what the root of it is and, and, and where am I where am I dropping the ball? Because uh, it, it's like as, as you're moving forward and, and progressing and doing things and you get busy, um, things fall by the wayside, whether you're, you're so consumed with work that you're not uh, socializing as much or you're socializing so much that you're not focused on the work or. Uh, you're focused on the work, so you're not exercising. There, there's always something that uh, get gets you know dropped off a bit, or you're not spending enough time with yourself and reflecting and and things like that. So I, you know, I like to I try to click through all of the, you know, what do I feel like a burden? Am I a little lonely right now? And so it's 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 actually encouraged me to be more proactive in that area. You know, it's it's like, oh, do I need to spend more time with myself? Or do I need to spend more time with other people? It's 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 just like really asking yourself uh, the, 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 the 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 deeper questions so that um, you don't have to stay there. And and if you come back there, uh, you know how to how to find your way through. That's so well stated. And, and that's something I talk about so much, not only in my in my office or in working with other people. But my daughters have heard it plenty, too, and, and they've got a great eye roll for when dad starts talking about balance. Right. And that's just a big thing. I believe that, you know, life is all about having a balance of, you know, socializing, mental health, physical health, spiritual health, spending time with self, um, self-care, but then also uh, taking care of your community and others out there. And a healthy life is all about having that balance. And when you're out of balance, when you're when you feel uh, you know, that little bit of suffering, that little bit of, am I being a burden or, or am I doing enough or am I doing too little? Those can be powerful triggers to, to sit back and, and think and, and spend some time and wonder, all right, I'm out of balance here. What do I need to be doing? Where, where can, where should I be focusing more to find meaning so that I'm not feeling like a burden so that I am really 
pursuing my, you know, singular, unique purpose in this world. So I agree with you that those, when those feelings return, it should be a powerful reminder to step back and whether you, you talk to somebody else or you talk to yourself and say, okay, there's a little bit of lack of balance here. Where do, where do I need to find that? What do I need to do? What, when you, you know, you have two daughters and you're married, how, how do you, mm-hmm. um, do, do you use the word meaning uh, with them or do you say purpose? Is there a difference between meaning and purpose? So I'm not allowed to use therapy in the house. Okay. But it comes, but it comes out anyway, right? So, and, and they know like, okay, dad's going into therapist mode here. This should be a good lecture. That's usually about the time they tune out. So yeah, I throw those words around interchangeably. We talk about them a lot. They know, they know my belief system. They know my training. They know what I do and how I help other people. But look, they're, they're still my family. They don't always want to listen to dad. My wife doesn't always want to listen to her husband. And and sometimes maybe I, maybe I, I don't even like to admit this all the time, but maybe I'm not right. And maybe it's not the time to talk about meaning for them. But we we do talk about it a lot. Well, I don't know about a lot, but we do talk about it here, especially my oldest right now is getting ready to go off to college. And so the past year has been all about um, that intersection of meaning and, and purpose, but also very tangible things like career and degree and and how can you spend the next four years to launch you into a, a healthy and successful life. And uh, going back to the idea of balance, those conversations can be a difficult balance between just being a dad and and being a little bit too much a uh, psychologist and, and, you know, philosopher. So that's something I have to pay attention to when it comes to balance. Let me ask you something. When, when, when we talk about balance, um, is it because, you know, so many people are, are having financial struggles right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Loss of job, out of work, things like that. When you're, when you're trying to find balance, is that something that one should pursue, like pursue all the things at once? Is it one thing at a time? Like for someone who's completely out of balance, how do they slowly get back into balance? I think that's a great question. Right. And, and when you're so far out of balance, like the universe has a way of bringing you back, man. Um, for me, one of the things that kind of launched this second half of my career, that was probably about 15 years ago. You know, I was, I was rising up through the ranks of a, of a treatment center and they're like, Hey, you're going to be CEO someday and you're going to run this thing. And, and I just saw dollar signs. It wasn't even about helping people anymore. And then uh, I was living kind of near a, a larger city than where I am now. And somebody introduced me into the idea of real estate investing. Man, I dove just headlong into that. So here I am running a treatment center and, and buying up rental properties and all this other stuff. And it was all about money. I was way out of balance. You know, I would, I would work for eight or nine hours a day and then come home and, and go right into the, the bedroom where we had a desk and a giant computer and, and work on that. And as I look now, like, man, you were way out of balance. But in that moment, you know, it took some pretty disastrous things to, to remind me. Um, you know, we had the, the financial bubble of 2008. Uh, we had to file for bankruptcy, which was, you know, a huge stigma at that point. Um, I think I worked so hard. I put myself in the hospital for like a, a week or a week and a half with a ruptured appendix. All this happened in about the same year or two. And it took me two years to realize, hey, uh, you might be a little out of balance. You gotta, 
figure some other things out. And that's when opportunities in life start to present themselves to come back into balance. And that's something, those lessons now I can look back at and be like, wow, I'm, I'm so blessed. I'm so fortunate that those things happened to me. But in the moment, it's hard to recognize. And so sometimes you need somebody else to tell you, hey, you, you need to kind of come back to center. Um, and if you don't, again, I'm a big believer that the, the universe is going to let you know. Your body's going to let you know. Your mental, physical, spiritual health will eventually diminish to the point where, you, where you, it's a wake-up call. And you have to start coming back or, or you only sink deeper. Yeah, because I can't imagine, you know, going through a bankruptcy and a ruptured appendix, you know, what the conversations with the wife was like and, and, and the sleepless nights and, you know, all, all the, the anxiety that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was there were some interesting conversations. Um, I'm telling one of the one of the most spiritual times in my life. And this was amazing. Like so when the appendix ruptures. I wake up and I couldn't even wake up the next morning. I'm turning green. I'm like, I think I should go to the hospital. Hospital units full. They put me in the, <laughs> they put me in the gerontology unit, right, with all the older folks. So I spent a week and a half with the most amazing spiritual gentleman that I've probably ever come across. And we, in between fits of consciousness, you know, we had an amazing talk, and and that really helped. And that made the conversations with my wife a lot easier at that point to say, hey. I need to do something different. We need to be doing something different. And and we made some huge life choices at that point. It's been great. You know, there's a documentary with, um, uh, uh, Tillman, not wait, not Tillman. I forget his name. He was a football player, but he has, uh, ALS now. And mm, okay. uh, have you seen it? No, I haven't. Tell me um, it's uh, it's it's fascinating. But you know, he he was an NFL player. He was like all pro def- linebacker, and um, and now he has ALS. So he goes from this guy who is a beast uh, on the field to like maybe a hundred pounds, and you know can't do anything uh, for himself uh, physically, and you know just bedridden. And you know he was married. And and now his wife, for the past, I want to say, I think, ten years. I they they gave him like a, a year to live, and he's been going for I think about ten years now. And you can see it's is is I mean you talk about a burden, like definitely um, there's a a, a, a physical. Uh, uh, burden that that he's putting on his wife because she has to move him and wash him and turn him over and and feed him and all these things and then there's the emotional uh burden of of you know taking care of him taking care of the bills like there's all these different factors and but you see such a fight he has such a fight in his eye and you could tell he he won't go quietly and you know he's starting charity foundations and trying to bring a, a attention to it and awareness. And and I ask myself, like, if I was in his shoes, you know, I, would I have taken my life? Would I have under, you know, he's undergone numerous treatments to, to extend his life and, and take chances and, and find that risk. And, you know, I, I'm like, it's so fascinating. You know, he's, he, cause he's found the meaning in just trying to help others and, 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 and hopefully, uh, through his body and his life, he can help find a cure for it. And so I, 
to, to it's it's like it's the power of when you're going through something is is you know if you get to a point and say you know hopefully I you know my suffering will be so that others don't have to suffer and I could see that <laughs> that fire in his eyes and I, I wonder if you know through your training and everything like if if there were different ways they taught you to to attach or find meaning in life like i mean you know to go through all those years of like what were what were the things they they what were like you know some of the outlines or strategies or tactics for that sure sure so uh, i mean that example you said is beautiful and i think some of the greatest stories in human history are about people overcoming tragedy Right. I mean, they just call to us at a very just such a, a primal level when we hear that kind of story it arouses such emotion. And I, I think that happens every day. I mean, you know, look at your story of, of suffering and then coming through and reaching out through this podcast and other ways of trying to help people. And, you know, my story of, of you know, you don't have to go out and, and, and serve thousands or millions of people. You can just help the people that you're around on a daily basis. Um. And some of the ways to do that, uh, so the, the theory and, and what I've seen in practice is there's a few ways that you can really try to discover meaning, right? And some of it is um, in just truly loving another person or in loving other people in, in these acts of service like you just described. You know, it's one thing to want to go earn a living, but when you're doing it in ways of service, Man, that's just such a higher calling, and there's a lot of meaning to be discovered to, to be discovered there, and it just progresses that way. So, serving others—that example you just gave—is is such an important way to develop meaning in times of crisis, like we've seen so often. People step outside their normal day-to-day activities to go, uh, you know, lay sandbags when there's a flood, or or help in a national emergency, or or help in times of of, of ill health, and they find new ways to discover meaning. And it's just such a powerful way, service to your fellow man, service to another person. Uh, the wife in the story you were just talking about, you know, her life is totally changed. And I bet in some ways there's, there's been a lot of sadness, but I, I, would, I would also bet there's, there's a lot of meaning to be found there. Um, so one way to discover meaning in your life, one way to find that purpose is in service to others. And through doing that, you find all kinds of new things about yourself and other people. Another way is just through um, creative works, right? Like whether that's creating music or works of art or podcasts or speaking or, or just doing things that um, tap into kind of our to our very soul, that, that part of us that makes us human, right? That ability to be creative. Well, when we do that, it just it touches something in us that really um, can, can create new meaning for us. So, you know, serving others, engaging in creativity. One of the things Frankel talks about, he was an avid mountaineer. I mean, he did some serious mountain climbing in the Alps. And, you know, one of the things he talks about is just being in touch with nature, being out in nature. And, and we, we hear about that so often. There's some great, you know, classic American tales about finding purpose out in nature, going on a hike, going on a long hike, doing different things. Um, so those are three different ways, but the biggest way, and, and I think this comes from his experience through the concentration camps of World War II, when we have unavoidable suffering, suffering we can't change, as in your example with the gentleman with ALS, 
You can't change that. He can't change that. But what he can change is his attitude. And when we adopt an attitude of positivity, of service, of giving, even through unavoidable suffering, so many opportunities to discover meaning there. And I go back to your example, right? That what you suffered through, you chose an attitude of, I'm going to grow from this. You know, everything can be taken away from us. Frankel's example of being in the concentration camps, he had everything literally taken away from him. Barely even had clothing, certainly didn't have food. But he chose an attitude of service. He chose an attitude of seeking meaning and grew from that. So if, if we can live by that example, um, hopefully we never have to go through something that intense. But when we choose a, a, an attitude of, of service, of growth through our suffering, there's a lot of meaning to be found there. Man, it's so powerful. I, I looked up uh, who the football player is. It's uh, Steve Gleason. Um, okay. And so, yeah, you definitely have to. I mean, it's emotional to, to watch it. So make sure you're, you're with family or friends or you have someone to process this with. Uh, but I'm looking at his Twitter feed right now. And today he posted, you know, like I said, this guy has been in a, uh, I don't want to say just in a wheelchair. He, he's been on like this life support machine, but at home um, and uh, but still like coherent. So he's not in a coma, but um, but he tweeted over the past nine years, my family and I have experienced enormous, enormous loss, failure and suffering. I think I've learned many pertinent and encouraging lessons that are applicable to our current global crisis. One of the lessons I've learned is the best therapy is often a super massive fucking cry session, dude. <laughs> so he still has this, you know, he still has a sense of humor. He's still, mm-hmm. he's still engaged in social media and, you know, so I thought, to, you know, like I said, it's been nine years that and uh, and his whole his whole uh, mantra is this too shall pass. So it, it's it's like he's found meaning in his suffering. He's still he has pictures of him looking up at the moon and just still being in awe of those little things. And um, he has kids, he has two kids and a wife. And, um, and like I said, I know it's not easy. It's not easy. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen with you know changing your mindset and and finding uh, and, and and finding reason, finding purpose, creating something, uh, being in touch. Do you get out in nature much, Dan? So we we left the city to move out to Farmville. So I'm I'm surrounded by nature every day. Uh, I just. Uh, before we chatted today, I took a little walk in the backyard, got four or five acres and some pine trees and did some praying and enjoyed my coffee. So I try to get out in nature whenever I can. And when I can do three or four days on a trail somewhere, I mean, I, I get out there as often as possible. So absolutely. What is your daily routine right now? You know, uh, you have two kids, a wife, you're, you're out in the, in the middle of nowhere, not nowhere, but to me, Indian. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but you have acres, you know, what, what's your, what's your daily routine look like? So during, during normal times, right. um, you know, I get up, uh, I help the girls get ready for school. Um, that's been, that was one of the, the great 
things I did and, and changing over from corporate mental health and, and pursuing uh, being a CEO to private practice and, and pursuing helping people is uh, I get to kind of choose my schedule. So I get up with the girls. My wife's a teacher, so I'm getting up with all three girls to make sure they're, they're uh, getting ready and getting off, make sure my wife has her coffee before she, she goes and I get the girls off to school dog and I hang out and uh, I answer emails and then follow up with clients. Um, I do some writing in the mornings, uh, um, try to make sure I get out for a run every other day, getting, you know, want to get four or five miles in and, and, you know, just to, it's one thing to talk to other people about being healthy, but I feel as a, as a helping professional, I got to do, do that. And then, uh, after that I head into the office and I'm in there for, you know, usually seven, my office is probably half hour away from home. So when I go into the office, I'm, I'm all about being there and being present. So I'm helping people back to back for, you know, seven or eight hours, nine hours, come home exhausted, but feeling good and just spend time with the family, helping out with homework or recovering. And then later on, you know, I, I can only do that for three or four days. By Thursday afternoon, I, I try to spend some time with friends, maybe, uh, you know, in, in Warmer months, get out and golf, get out in some nature. Uh, Friday is all about paperwork. Paperwork, writing, thinking, reading, um, trying to take care of myself, but also figure out how that self-care can help other people. So it's uh, not the most conventional of schedules, but it's definitely one that's uh, I've made, I've found to be meaningful for me. And, and, and it certainly helps my family and I get to help a lot of other people. I love that, man. And I asked that question because, you know, it, you know, it, it's, it ties into how to find balance. It gives insight into how to structure one's day. Uh, you know, cause I, I used to think that I used to just, just go with the flow, like whatever happens, happens and we'll see what happens. Then I realized I, I felt very unfulfilled and uh, at the end of my day or, you know, the weekends I was like, whatever happens. And then, you know, come Sunday night at, it, it, I realized, like, if I'm not proactive and, and I'm not planning my weekends and my days and how I fill my time, that, um, you know, life doesn't just happen for me, you know. Um, right. And and so uh, to, to, to just be thoughtful and intentional as to where I put my energy in. Because um, that could also lead to depression of, of just kind of just allowing things to happen versus uh, adding some structure to your time and day, like, like just waking up whenever you want to going to bed, whenever you want to like, that's, it sounds good, but it's, it's not healthy. Uh, we all need some type of structure that it's part of, uh, being balanced. But I want to ask you in, uh, Victor's search for, uh, uh, Victor's search for, uh, <laughs> in, in terms of, uh, how did, how did Frankel view like substance abuse, like drug? And because with people who commit suicide, there's so much alcohol and drug abuse uh, that's usually involved. How do they view addiction? So I love that question, right? Because he even admits he didn't. And so ever since I started studying this, you know, I'm a, I'm a licensed clinical addictions counselor as well. And so I deal with this a lot. And, and as I'm studying, I'm like, man, this just applies to that so much. Um, and, and so I've talked to a lot of my colleagues worldwide. You know, there's, there's a big network of us that 
Um, European countries, because it originated there, are much bigger on logotherapy and using it for substance abuse. And so I've started to put together some programs. Um, there's one on my website to kind of help some people. I've worked with a gentleman in uh, Vancouver um, to kind of create some meaning-oriented step programs. Because I believe you know that, that absence of meaning, right, when we don't fulfill that sense of purpose, um, you know, we, we start chasing feeling better. Uh, I've taught a lot of graduate courses in substance abuse, and I start every one with this idea that mankind's been using substances for, for longer than recorded history, right? You have indigenous tribes using local plants and things to, whether it's escape reality or for spiritual purposes, you know, for a variety of different reasons. But it's really only been recently, maybe in the past hundred years, where we start to recognize it as a problem that it goes too far and it's become too much of an addiction. And in, in some of Frankel's works, he'll talk about this idea that, you know, as man has too much free time and too much leisure, he loses the sense of purpose. And so he'll seek purpose or, or escape or sensation through substance use. So one of the things I do with, with my clients, uh, my substance abuse clients is we, we well, obviously we, we start to look for meaning. We, we start to seek out different purposes, different opportunities to serve. And I think if, if you're familiar uh, with the 12 steps, that's, uh, I think that's the 12th step. The final step is giving back, being of service. So, so many other philosophies talk about finding meaning and service. And that's just one more way to help people uh, through substance abuse. You know, substance abuse causes us to turn inward to seek that pleasure often on our own, right? Like going out and, and drinking or using, um, it's a very self-centered kind of thing. But when we reach out to help others, most people find they, they don't need it anymore. Yeah. Did you, you know, cause you're a very driven person. Was that, was that a message that came from your family? Like not not your family now, but just growing up in your household was it was it a competitive household? Um, so the the thing I remember about growing up as it related to kind of meaning and work, right? So we would all hunker down around the dining room table after Dad got off work, and we would turn the news. And we we had to be quiet during the news, right? So Dad wanted to catch up on the news, but when we did have conversation. It was often about how frustrated he was with work and how disappointed he was in it. And so I grew up in steel mill country. And so I grew up thinking like, man, if this is, this is my destiny, I'm just going to grow up and go work in the mills and really not like it and come home and live the same life every day. And I actually talked to my dad about this a few months ago. I said, Hey, how, how did you know to send me to college, man? He said, I, I didn't. It was just the thing everybody was doing, and we knew that that was going to be something that you had to do to to get away from here, to do something different. And I just, man, that still chokes me up a little bit, like just knowing, hey, you got to go do something else. And that was probably one of the most meaningful decisions made for me or that I made in my life was to get out and do a little more. And, and I think that began my search. And now I went went astray for you know, different times and pursuing money and things like that. But, um, I think that was a, the greatest blessing my family ever gave me was to say, Hey, you, you got to go do something different. 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to chase money because you're thinking about your family, you're thinking about security, you're thinking about education. You know, uh, it's it, it makes sense that uh, uh, so many people do overwork, and your and your dad, you know, as, as frustrated as he was, was like he had to do it to support the family and and keep the keep food on the table and a roof over your head. And so for 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 people who are listening and and and, and finding that balance is a, is a challenge. It, it's not easy, and, and and I completely understand how. You know, there are people who have to work two jobs just to uh, keep the lights on and make sure their kids have clothes on their back and, and things like that. But um, so, you know, I, and and tell me how you feel about this, because I, I realized that, like, I used to think of balance of being like, you know, 20, 20, 20, 20, like five 20s gives me 100. And if, I'm, if I do 20 percent, you know, work, 20 percent socialize, 20 percent, whatever, whatever. And I realized that it, it doesn't have to be that. It could be it could be eighty five 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 or uh, five or you know ninety two 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 whatever it is is like just being aware that there are areas of your life that um, need to be addressed, and sometimes at different times, it's at least plan for it. It doesn't have to be all in a day or in a week, but to Say you know I have a like a, I have a friend every three months she takes a, a vacation for a weekend she just mm. like that's her that's her finding her balance of like she knows that when she's working she's working but she also knows that it, and, and every three months she needs to do nothing and just uh, go somewhere and just release no matter where she's at uh, in her life. Do you have a, a similar philosophy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think w- when we're trying to pursue that 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, you know, I mean, okay, so just in doing that, we're looking at perfection, and that's kind of the opposite of balance, right? Life life doesn't come to us in, in that perfect kind of way. And so, you know, there are times, there are seasons in life, right? Like I said, I'm getting ready to send a daughter to college. I'm going to be working pretty hard, um, you know, spending a lot of time at the office and, uh, that's okay. Right. Because right now that's, that's what's bringing my life balance. Cause that allows me to be able to do good things for her. Um, I don't think life is ever that perfect split, but it, over time we have to kind of roll with the punches and know, Hey, this is a time for leisure. This is a time for, for myself and to focus on me. This is a time to focus on my family or my community. And that, you know, in doing that, you know, it's never perfect, but absolutely there are, there are the right times to pursue those different, those different areas of balance. And, and like I said before, very often life, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, reminds us when we're out of balance. And, and so looking for those cues and knowing, all right, so this, this is not where my meaning is and I need to come back to whatever part of that balanced life I, that maybe I'm lacking right now. Are, are there uh, assignments or homework that you assign to people to to help them uncover what what the meaning in their life is? Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it really depends on the situation. Some, um, you know, when it comes to to that lack of balance, if I feel somebody's working too much too often, I'll encourage them like, hey. You need to go spend time with your family and, and see what's there. Spend a weekend away without your phone, without work, without things like that. 
Um, or if people feel maybe they're spending too much time and leisure and, and really not finding a lot of purpose, um, I'll encourage them, hey, let's here's some volunteer opportunities. What more can you find? Um, one of the, the uh, practices, techniques um, in logotherapy is what's called uh, so- Socratic dialogue, right? So, I mean, it's just a, a pretty common therapy thing of asking the right questions at the right time to help the individual kind of dive deeper into where they're at and, and what's going to provide meaning for them. So every bit of homework is, is kind of different for each client kind of flows from where, where their lack of balance is and where maybe they're saying they need to go find more meaning. Uh, when you say the Socratic dialogue, can you give us an example of that? Sure. Um, it, <laughs> I like to think of it as just following the, the individual down the rabbit hole, right? Just questioning where they're thinking and, you know, if, if they're, if they feel they're, they're working too much or they're overworked, just talking about, well, what does that mean? What does that feel like? Why do you think you might be doing that? And then challenging those questions, those answers to those questions with, all right, well, where maybe if, if you're overdoing it in this area of life, where are you underdoing it? Right. So there's a question of balance there. You know, where are you underdoing it? And, and how can you find more time to return to balance and focus on this area where you might not be attending? And it's just as a as a psychotherapist, it's such an enjoyable process to to kind of be with somebody and go through that and see them come to that realization on their own right through that questioning. It's not me telling them, okay, here's what you need to be doing. But to to ask the right questions and to see them kind of arrive at this point of, oh, yeah, I've been doing a little too much of this and I need to find some meaning in that. And here's how I can be doing it. I love it. Yeah, because I'm looking up the difference between uh, psychoanalysis and logotherapy. And, and psychoanalysis is, you know, what we when we think of Freud, uh, mm-hmm. you know, going back into your history. And uh, it, there's a, a, a picture graph that shows a difference. It's psychoanalysis is more introspective and logotherapy is more outrospective. Mm-hmm. Uh, psychoanalysis is retrospective. Logotherapy yes. is future oriented. Yes. Um, psychoanalysis is and action. Go ahead. Action. Action oriented too. taking action to, to pursue, to discover meaning. That's one of the things that really appeals to, to my personality is there are things that you can do to achieve this. Versus just talking about it and, and ruminating and, uh, and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and sitting there and, and uh, feeling it. And uh, yeah, that, that actually, it, it makes sense because it's like there are things that you did and habits that we have that get us into a place. And then there are things that we can do to feel better. It's kind of like, you know, like when you sit around, you go, I don't feel good. I'm feeling a little sad, I feel a little anxious. And you realize it's because you've been sitting there for a while. You've been binge watching, you know, whatever it is, or uh, you, you just you, you got up and and you ate. You, maybe you didn't eat the 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 best breakfast. You, you had the leftover pizza with cereal, or you know, like you didn't eat anything nutritious. Right. And and but we don't look at the habits that have led to why we feel the way we do. We just look at the we look at the feeling. 
And then we immediately, like you said, I like what you said earlier when you said uh, we're chasing feeling better. Like that, it's so powerful because you know, like my my uh, vice is food, and it, um, it, it I think it, it logged more into you know football and just having to eat so much to to keep up weight, mm-hmm. and then I I just uh, developed that habit, and and so now it's something I have to be very mindful of of like what I'm putting in my body, and why. Can you speak more into about like chasing feeling better and ways that people do that and ways that people should be doing that or that would be I don't want to say should but would be more beneficial. Um, sure, sure. Well, I, I love the, uh, the 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 your statement on food, right? Because I think all of us should be somewhat mindful of what we're putting into our body um, because it affects our overall health, right? Mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual what we eat, what we put into our body affects us in so many ways. And yet we often don't pay attention to it, right? It almost becomes a compulsion to pull up through a drive through and just say, yeah, I'll take whatever and not think about what you're putting into your body and how that affects your neurochemistry and, and how you're going to feel in 10 or 20 minutes. And so I think that's just a really important one. I'm not saying at an obsessive level where you have to measure everything out and track it, but just thinking like, am I really hungry right now? Or am I just eating to fulfill some, some void, some emptiness, some, something that I I feel I'm missing. And is there something else I could be doing there? Is there something better I could be pursuing, you know, rather than eating another bag of chips, maybe, maybe getting up and moving is going to be better. Is going to be more healthy for me, more beneficial. Um, is there, you know, something else I can be doing that that's more meaningful, right? That's going to be better for me, more healthy, more beneficial. Um, when we talk about that kind of chase of feeling better, I think that idea of mindfulness certainly enters in there, right? We know in our culture, there are so many quick, instant gratification ways to feel momentarily better. Um, I think Amazon's a, a really common way of doing that, right? We're feeling a little lonely. We're feeling a little down. Hey, I need a, I need a new shirt and I can just hop on Amazon and that looks pretty thing. And, and that, that ability to buy and, and serve instant gratification so easily gives us a little do, a dose of dopamine. It makes us feel a little bit better in that instant. But then what are the long-term consequences? You know, we look at our checkbook and all of a sudden that number's coming down. We've got a whole closet full of new shirts that make us feel better momentarily, but we can only wear one or two at a time. And in the long term, that, that chase to feel better doesn't always serve us in a meaningful, long-term kind of way. So one of the things, this is, this is what helped me years ago, and I recommend it to a lot of people, is physical health promotes mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And whether that means walking or running or riding a bike or, or doing just about anything, set a goal you know, to set a goal for yourself. For me, it was, it was that first mile. And then after that, it was, you know, there was, it wasn't even a cool shirt, but I'm like, I wanted this t-shirt to show that I did a 5k. And now I just try to stay like 10k healthy. Anytime there's a cool six mile run coming up, I'm like, I want to be ready to do that whenever. But that also promotes other forms of health, right? If, if I'm going to go run uh, six miles tomorrow morning, I probably shouldn't eat that whole pizza. 
might sound good, might taste good, but you know, it promotes other things. So chasing, chasing long-term feeling good is more meaningful than that short-term and being mindful of what we're doing to ourselves, what we're putting in our body, what we're putting into our mind on a short-term basis can produce powerful, healthy, meaningful, beneficial long-term effects. What, you know, and I, and I realized I should have asked this question at the very top, you know, how are we defining suffering? How are we defining suffering? And, and, well, and the reason why I asked that is because, you know, there's, I, I remember when I, you know, playing football and uh, I would get, there would be moments during the game where I would get hit and the coach would be like, and I'd be laying there on the ground. A coach would come over and be like, "Are you are you hurt or are you injured?" Yeah. And and I knew that if I said I was hurt, that means I could keep playing. But if I said I was right. injured, I had to come out the game. And I realized that's not a conversation that a, a lot of people have. This distinguishing between hurt or injured, because uh, because what it's taught me to do is think about when I'm um, emotionally suffering, quote unquote, <laughs> where I go, am I hurt? Did, did what they say hurt me or did it injure me? And if it hurt me, mm -hmm. then I know that I'm, I'm good and I can recover from injured. I need help. Like I need, like I, I, can't, I can't go on by myself. There's, there's more to it than whatever it is. And so, it, so it, it's made me then question, like, how are we defining suffering? Mm -hmm. Can you? There, there's, a, there's some great ways we can look at that, right? So, I mean, suffering in, in modern times is, is really any negative affect we experience, right? We can, we can say, hey, I'm sad, I'm hurt, I'm mad, I'm disappointed. You know, there's a degree of suffering there. But when it comes to emotional suffering, what I love to talk to people about that is emotions are cues to take action, right? We can't always control our emotion or their reaction, what happens to what somebody says, to somebody hitting us on the football field, to external stimuli. But we can look that at that emotion and ask ourselves, is that causing suffering? And if it is, what am I going to do about it, right? What is my next step? What is my behavior to either alleviate that suffering, to transmute it into something else, to make it a triumph maybe? Can I take that emotional suffering and do something else with it on my own? And if I can't, like you said, where can I get help? Who can I talk to to change that? The suffering Frankel often talks about the unavoidable suffering in life. He talks about what's called the tragic triad, pain, guilt, and death, right? These are things none of us are going to escape. We're all going to feel pain in life. We're all going to feel guilty at some point in life, and we're all going to have to die. But pain and guilt, we can, we can take, and we can do something different with. I like to talk to many of my clients about the idea of you're feeling guilty. That's, that's a, a wonderful emotion from a therapist's point of view. Because that's telling me you need to do something. You need to take action to alleviate that guilt. Maybe you need to apologize. Maybe you need to engage in a behavior to make amends somewhere. 
but guilt will cause us to do something else. And the same thing with pain. You know, uh, I injured my back years ago. Well, that taught me to quit making poor decisions with my body and stop throwing myself into activities that I shouldn't be doing and, and to be healthier, um, to do mindful exercises on a daily basis, to eat healthier, to eat an anti-inflammatory diet. And then, of course, we come to death and, and, and the suffering of death is one we don't deal with very well, um, but it's one that we can still, you know, when we recognize that this, this life is, is uh, finite, we won't be here forever, it can often be a motivator to do awesome things in service to others. So suffering can be, <laughs> that's the long way to answer your question. Suffering can def be defined in a, in a multitude of ways, but I like to think of it as any kind of negative affect that motivates us, encourages us, to do something different. Now, you talked about anti-inflammatory diet. What what does mm -hmm. that look like? Like, are you still on that right now, or is that just something? You oh did man, at the time? I, I made a lifestyle out of it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I'm trying to. It's it's probably been a while now, but you know, I, I just made some poor choices, and I really blew out my back. Um, it got so bad, like I, I couldn't walk. My wife finally took me to the, to the emergency room. She said, that's it. You're getting checked out. <laughs> and my pain was so intense when I was trying to crawl up on the uh, x-ray table. She had to leave the room. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You're not supposed to leave. I'm the one hurting here. She said, you were in so much pain. She was going to pass out. Uh, had to be in a walker. Couldn't move about. And so rather than having surgery, I just want a process of rehabilitation and exercise. And I really looked into anti-inflammatory diets and just, uh, you know, a lot of antioxidants. I'm big on spinach as much as possible. Um, some eggs here and there, minimizing inflammatory uh, substances like, you know, alcohol, processed food. Um, I haven't been through, all right, I can't say I haven't been through a drive through I've minimized my drive through check-ins, you know, to maybe once a month. Uh, whereas in the past I was, you know, I just wasn't eating right. I wasn't eating healthy and it certainly, you know, took its toll. Wow. You know, I, cause I, I subscribe to, uh, 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 semi anti-inflammatory diet and, but also, uh, the blood type diet. I do a blood type B uh, me and my girlfriend, we're, we're both blood type B. So it makes it easy in a household. Uh, I know whatever she's cooking that's good for her is also going to be good for me. Um, but uh, but that's, that has changed my life uh, drastically in terms of keeping uh, inflammation low. Because uh, there's a lot of research now that shows that a lot of uh, mental illness, especially schizophrenia, uh, partly depression, um, but also your Alzheimer's and uh, these other conditions are uh, rooted in inflammation in the body that uh, partly stems from your diet and the foods that you eat. Processed foods obviously can uh, cause inflammation, uh, but stress from working too much. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's also a genetic component of, uh, of inflammation in the body. So, you know, we've been, we've been really trying to hone in on our – and then also – over exercising. Exercising is great, but uh, there have been times where I've hiked a little too long and then uh, mm -hmm. my body wasn't able uh, to recover. So it goes back to the balance uh, of things. Dan, is there something uh, that I haven't asked you that you, you feel like people 
should know or, or want to talk about or man I, I this has been this has been awesome this has just been a wonderful series of questions i feel there's been a lot out here um looking at my notes no man i think you asked some amazing questions i really would encourage people if, if there's one thing i can I, I can share through all this if there's one takeaway if you're feeling low if you're feeling feeling meaningless if, if, if you're stressed depressed sad this is a great time in, in history to help somebody else. And it may not be in the easiest way possible. It may not be direct, but if you can do something to help one person or many other people like what you're doing in this podcast, Leo, I promise you, you'll find meaning somewhere. Continue to reach out and help other people. And it's going to change your life. It's going to show you no me- new meaning and it'll give you opportunity maybe you never expected. Dan, where can people find you? So right now, everything goes through my website, danielafranz.com. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-A-F-R-A-N-Z.com. Links to a Facebook page and Twitter. Got some online courses there. And again, podcast should be up here in a couple weeks, but check that website, danielafranz.com. And that's where most of my work is and where I'll be speaking and what I've got going on. I love it. And I ask this of all my guests. I always feel like there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Dan? You have a purpose in life. You are unique and individual, and nobody else can fulfill that purpose that you have. And so don't rob the rest of the world of that one thing you can contribute. Don't rob yourself of that. Come back and find out what that unique and meaningful purpose is. Dan, thank you so much. Thank you all for listening in. Thank you for listening and rating it five stars. Thank you for sharing the episode. Sharing is caring. Uh, but remember, this episode is not is not a substitute for you getting help, for you finding a coach, for you going to a therapist, for you calling 800-SUICIDE, for you being proactive for you taking responsibility for your life. Uh, And if you need help one-on-one coaching with yours truly, Leo Flowers, go to thrivewithleo.com, thrivewithleo.com. Thank you so much, Dan, for being on. And thank you. Leo, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. And we will talk to you soon.